Peter has been arrested for proclaiming the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. His response to the charges of the high priest summarizes the early church's proclamation of forgiveness of sin through repentance. Reading from Acts, the fifth chapter. When they had brought the apostles, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Word of God, word of life. The unprecedented events on the, of the day of the resurrection continue as the risen Jesus appears to his fearful disciples. A week later, after Thomas worships Jesus, Jesus pronounces that the blessings of the resurrection are also for those who have seen and yet believe. The Holy Gospel according to John, the 20th chapter. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord! But Thomas said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hand and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God! Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of our Lord. Before I get to talking about the Acts reading, which is where we'll be spending uh, most of this Easter season, I want to say a quick word about our boy Thomas. We should not remember him as doubting. Elsewhere in the Gospels, even in John, Thomas is the guy who, after Jesus says something they don't understand, gives a kind of shoulder shrug and says to the others, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to follow Jesus and see what happens. You coming? I think this makes him kind of weirdly faithful, trusting, and in a very relatable way. 
There's a lot more to say about Thomas and John and those who followed their traditions and all the politics of who made it into the biblical canon and who got left out and hidden for millennia. How many people here know that there's a gospel of, that there's a gospel of Thomas? Oh, a couple of you. Cool. Yeah, there is. Uh, but to get into that is a whole other sermon, and I want to talk about Acts. So one more final thing. Not only is Thomas not an unhealthy doubter, legend has it, and there's evidence to support this, that Thomas made his way to what is today India, where he established numerous churches and is one of the nation's patron saints. So moving on to our Acts reading. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. We're going to focus this Easter season on the readings from Acts of the Apostles. This book is the second part of Luke's gospel, or the sequel to Luke's gospel, and it's focused on the apostles, especially Peter and later Paul. The narrative begins where Luke's gospel ends, with Jesus's ascension. And then there's some other stuff, Judas Iscariot's death, yes, we get a second telling, and then Matthias is chosen to replace him. Chapter two opens with that Pentecost event with the Holy Spirit coming to them in such a way that those around them think that they are drunk in the middle of the morning. Come back June 5th to hear more about that. And the book goes from there. The small community of believers share everything amongst themselves they begin to evangelize, and they grow in number and influence as they move about the known world. To oversimplify, Acts is the story of the early Christian church emerging out of Judaism to become its own distinct thing. It's the story of those first followers of the way figuring out their own stuff, the good, the bad, the ugly. When we enter Acts today, it's in the middle of the fifth chapter, which began with a story of a couple, Ananias and Sapphariah, that did not share with the community everything as they said that they did. I think Shakespeare must have gotten some of his tragedy ideas from this story right here. So go check it out. Next, we get an account of the apostles healing many people. And this upsets the high priest and those around him, so they take action, they arrest the apostles, place them in prison, and then during the night, an angel of the Lord opens the prison doors and tells them to stand in the temple and tell the people the whole message of this life. And that's just what they do at daybreak. Meanwhile, the high priest comes in for work the next day, goes to his awful office, assembles the, the council of elders, and then sends the temple police to go collect the apostles to be brought before him. But they're not there. Someone else arrives and reports to them that the men they're looking for are in the temple teaching the people. Then the temple captain went with the temple police and brought them, but without violence, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And that brings us to the portion we heard this morning. The testimony they give is before the high priest and the council, which now has the effect of enraging these people in power such that they decide these apostles now need to be killed. But a Pharisee member of the council, Gamaliel, who you should 
look up also. He's kind of cool. A teacher of the law and respected by the people orders that the apostles be put outside. And then he speaks to his fellow Israelites, his fellow people in authority, and he advises them to carefully consider their next actions. And he cites past examples of false messiahs who were killed and then their followers dispersed and disappeared. Problem gone. And he concludes with the advice to let the men alone. Let them do their thing. If their undertaking, if their work is of human origin, it's going to fail. And they'll be gone, problem solved. But if it is of God as they say, they will never be able to overthrow these men. And they may even find themselves fighting God, God's self. Well, this is a pretty compelling argument. So the apostles are called back in, flogged for good measure, and then they're ordered not to speak of Jesus and let go. As they depart from the temple, they rejoice at being considered worthy to suffer the dishonor for the sake of Jesus. And every day at home and again in the temple, they did not cease in their teaching and proclamation of Jesus as the Messiah. Thus ends the fifth chapter. So that chunk from the high priest being enraged to their dismissal, that's verses 17 through 42. And it's very reminiscent of Peter and John who stood before the council and testified before them in chapter 4, beginning of chapter 4. And that chapter includes a couple of admonishments to them to not teach in Jesus' name, which is where we get the high priest today saying, I've told you not to do this. In verse 18 of chapter 4, the council called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And then again in verse 21, for good measure, after threatening them again, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all of them praised God for what had happened. So if you've never read the book of Acts all the way through, start to finish, I do recommend it, but be aware that there's a lot of repetition, and it can be a bit of a slog if you aren't prepared for it. A lot of what is going on in this fifth chapter of Acts of the Apostles echoes the actions and life of Jesus. The apostles heal like Jesus. They teach in the temple like Jesus. They are not bound or held in the prison like Jesus was not bound or held by the tomb. The arrest of Jesus was delayed for fear of the people. And so too are the disciples taken without violence because of fear of the people. Jesus' teachings were a threat to the powers of the day, and so also were the apostles' teachings and workings in the name of Jesus, a threat to the powers and authorities of the chief priests and the council of elders. And in being flogged, the apostles also suffered like Jesus suffered. So this was the early, early, early church figuring out their stuff and forming itself. forward nearly 2,000 years later, after a handful of major schisms and about a bajillion smaller ones, especially in the Protestant branches, and think about how we are like the early church, those first apostles who were witnesses to the resurrection event. How are we like that early church 
forming and figuring out its stuff in our communities today, working, healing our neighbors of things like oppression, poverty, and violence, teaching justice, mercy, and realizing the realm of God here and now. How are we a nonviolent threat to powers who oppress, proclaiming the good news? What stuff are we figuring out about how we live and work together as an individual congregation or as a congregation partnered and yoked with another congregation? How do we share the good news? Jesus is risen, but that's not the end of the story. The story continues. We get to share it and we get to help write it. Thanks be to God. Amen.